0: In February and March of 2020, we saw something that happened that's still having present-day effects, haven't we? And most of you at this point are saying, I am COVID-fatigued, please don't bring this up. But I think this illustrates something important that right now the church has been struggling with that maybe what we see, Jonah, which I'm getting into this before I even read it. Let me read it for us to give us some context so it's not just, what is he talking about? Here's verse 5 and 6. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! And perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So we saw something happen in February and March of 2020 that is still having present-day effects. COVID was pronounced dangerous and deadly, and the world came to a halt. And places were deemed, do you remember this, either essential or non-essential. Do you remember what the church was considered? The church was considered non-essential, whereas shops like liquor stores were considered essential, Churches were considered non-essential. And so hundreds of thousands of churches did not gather for months and some even for the year and some even up until now. Now when the church was labeled non-essential, there happened to be an outcry from Christians. The Christian Community cried out, How could this government label the church as non essential? Some ignored that and put their heads down and rebelled, staying open. Others continued and cried out, This is persecution. This is overstepping our religious freedom. Which, maybe to some extent, that was happening. However, here's a serious question that I want to ask for us this morning. That I don't think, I don't believe I'm the only person that was thinking about this, but I don't think it was brought to our attention in this way. And I think this passage helps us just a little bit with the question that I'm going to bring up. See, we spent a lot of time as Christians crying out, this is unfair This is overstepping the laws. And yet, I never heard anyone honestly ask, is this God's way of using non-Christians to rebuke the church for forgetting her calling? Are you awake? Or have you been sleeping under the deck? In the stowaway. Is our church awake? Or has it found itself a comfortable place to cozy up in? And to ignore the problems and anger and chaos at hand? You see, last week we saw Jonah running from his responsibility to go and call out against the great and evil city of Nineveh. God had called Jonah, the prophet Jonah, to go to the great and evil city to call out against it. And what Jonah does instead is gets up and flees to Joppa to run to Tarshish from his responsibility. And the only question is, is why would a prophet go through so much, why would a prophet so close to God, who knew the theological facts about God, who had the intimate relationship with God, get up and flee from God, so much so that this book tells us that Jonah tries to get away from the presence of God. He tries to get away from the presence of God. Well, it's out of Jonah's deep, Hatred towards Nineveh. It's about Nineveh being enemies of Israel. It's about Nineveh being a different ethnicity and not the nation of Israel than Jonah. And so Jonah, out of his deep hatred towards Nineveh, says, Forget this. I'm leaving. I'm going. And so what we're seeing right here during this scene, during this passage, is a prophet gone rogue. Jonah's gone AWOL. He's deliberately disobeyed God's command to go and call out. And so Jonah flees. And Jonah justifies Satan's trap for a boat in Joppa as God's providence. And as Jonah is being rocked to sleep in the ship, there is a storm that God sends to get Jonah's attention. You see, this is where we find ourselves today in this passage, in a very ironic and sad situation. Is it not the prophet who is to call out to God to save the ship, and the lives? Or is it the pagan? And when I say pagan, let's interchange that just with non-believer, non-Christian. Is it not the prophet who is to try to go out of his way to serve those on the ship? And instead, what we see is The irony of this passage is that it's the pagans calling out to their God to try to save their lives in the ship. And it's the pagans working together to do whatever they can to help and save one another. And while the pagans are doing all of the work, the non-Christians are doing all the work, we see the prophet fast asleep in the stowaway. So what we see in this passage is God using the pagan captain to wake Jonah up. To snap him back into reality. Israel has been called to be a city on a hill, a light to the nations. And the prophet was to proclaim the words of God. And now we see a prophet down tucked away under so his light will not shine at all. And here's the thing too. I remember one time before a basketball game in college, our, our uh, head coach came in with a uh, thermometer and a thermostat. And he said, Gentlemen, today's an important game. And if we don't go out right away and give it all we have, then we will not win this game. And there are two ways that you can respond. You can respond like a a thermometer. The thermometer takes the temperature. It rises to the temperature. Or you can be like a thermostat that sets the temperature. And this is how God has used the church throughout the life to set the temperature for the world, for our Nation, and even more important and closely at hand, our city. But when the church falls asleep, we should not be surprised when things get chaotic and out of control. We just shouldn't. And so we come to verse 5, and it shows the absolute panic and chaos that's going on. It tells us that the mariners were afraid. I mean, just imagine with me here. Let's put ourselves in this picture. What a storm this must have been if there were a group of rough and tough guys that sailed these seas constantly, who were afraid. Now, if there's any group of, of guys that would have laughed in the face of a storm, it would have been experienced sailors who sailed the sea consistently. Sailors, even, and especially professional sailors, have steel-like nerves. You know, I hate going on boats. If I can't see the land, I'm not going on a boat. If I don't think I can swim to land, I'm not going on a boat. But here there are these sailors who laugh in the face of storms that are now afraid, they're panicking. If 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 you don't believe me that sailors are like this, there's a show called Deadliest Catch. Those guys are absolutely crazy. The waves that come up on the ship that knock them over and they just get back up and go back to work is absolutely insane. This is the type of sailors that we're dealing with here, sailors that wouldn't have been easily scared of the sea. And yet, the storm that God has sent is so severe that the mariners are afraid. And so we're going to see these mariners respond in a few ways that's important. The first way is we see the the sailors responding by prayer. Is this not what our passage says? Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, they prayed. Their first response in the midst of the storm that they were afraid was to pray to their gods. When, when people, and it doesn't matter if, if they're Christians or not, are faced with fear to such a point that they believe they're going to die, what is the first thing that they normally do? They normally cry out in, in prayer. And that is what these pagan sailors do. They cry out to each their own gods. However, their prayers to different gods are as useless to calling 911 on a phone that is disconnected. Nobody is on the other end to receive their SOS. But the fact remains that here, these pagans are calling out to their gods. But why is it their first inclination to cry out to gods? Well Paul tells us actually. Romans one. He tells us that God has revealed his divine nature through his, or his divine, yeah, nature through his creation. But far too often people take the creation and worship that instead of the creator. The sailors recognized that this storm wasn't by, caused by just the wind, but it was caused by something divine. And so they cry out because they knew the only possible thing that could save their lives at this moment was something divine, but they mistake the creation to be God and call out to that instead. And as they call out, their voices get lost. Have we not seen this world cry out to its God, hoping to stop the chaos that it's been experiencing? This world has seemed to call on science and psychology and politics and philosophy to Solve global and local storms. Look, and this is not me saying that those things are wrong. A tree is not wrong when it's worshipped. It is wrong to worship a tree because it's idolatry. A tree was created by God as a beautiful masterpiece for Our benefit so the things I mentioned are all good but when they are elevated to the point of this is what will solve our problems this is what will bring peace on earth this is what will help us all just get along When it takes the place of God, we should not expect the chaos that we're experiencing to go away. Instead, what happens is it only numbs things down for a while. It only numbs things while be, while people only increase in becoming more selfish, more me-centered, and more angry, which makes what the sailors do next unthinkable. So we see the first thing they do is they cry out, they they call out, they they pray, but unfortunately their prayers are as useless as blowing bubbles they just pop right away but the next thing they do is they start hurling the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up so that way the sea or so that way the ship does not capsize and sink this is these men's livelihood Everything that is on this ship, whether it is their personal belongings, they're hurling over the sea. You see, they don't have a Target or Walmart once they get on shore to go to and just restock up. And so they're throwing their personal belongings that could have taken them a while to get overboard. They're taking their livelihood, their income, and they're throwing it into the sea. Also, that way they can serve one another and hopefully save the next man next to him. They're coming together to try to solve the problem of how do we bear this storm? How do we get through this storm? We need to get rid of our own personal belongings and the thing that brings income into our lives. These men are trying to think, how can I save the person next to me by working together with each other? Let us throw our money literally into the ocean or sea. And so each man is not thinking about how to save himself, but each man is thinking about how to save one another. And what we call this is God's common grace. I've got a definition here for us by a a theologian who's who's passed now for a while, Louis Burkhoff, Burkhoff. He's a a theologian, and and he explains common grace like this. And this is important for us to understand what's going on in this passage and just what's going on right now in general. Common grace curbs the destructive power of sin. It maintains a measure of the moral order of the universe, thus making an orderly, orderly life possible distributes in varying degrees gifts and talents among men, promotes the development of science and art, and showers untold blessings upon the children of men. You see, he doesn't say children of God. He says children of men. Common grace is God's grace extended to all mankind. So that way we don't implode. Because if God's common grace wasn't here, then things would get out of hand pretty quickly. And so when non-Christian men and women work together for the better of each other, there is common grace that is experienced for the community, for the benefit of everybody else. But here's the problem that it only goes so far. It's like putting a Band-Aid over a cut artery. You may cover the wound, but it's only going to continue to bleed when you pulsate. This is a book about Jonah, isn't it? And I've just spent the last maybe 15 minutes talking about a group of sailors. Where in the world is Jonah? The man of God. The prophet. While all of this commotion is taking place, Jonah is sleeping. Jonah's fast asleep. Think about it, these sailors are afraid for their lives with the storm, and Jonah is underneath sleeping he's being rocked to sleep by the motion of the waves. And some people and this is I mean I, I would say that this is probably right. Jonah was probably so exhausted from him running from him, running from God. he was probably so stressed and anxious and and probably even depressed that that he was so tired that when he got to the ship, the only thing that he could do was sleep. And here's where more of an ironic sense comes out in our passage. As Jonah is down underneath sleeping, the captain finds him. And what... Jonah hears next must have been a nightmare. The captain finds Jonah and he says three words Arise, call out. Why would that have been a nightmare to Jonah? So I I know we've been going at this at a pretty slow clip. I don't have that great of a memory. I'm just assuming maybe most of us in here don't have photographic memories. And so we forget quickly. Do you remember what God tells Jonah at the beginning? Shows us in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out. This is the same words that God spoke to Jonah. Now the pagan captain is speaking to Jonah. Arise, call out. And this sailor is telling Jonah, perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. I mean, Jonah ran from that calling to call out. And here we now see, whereas God called Jonah to arise and go and call out to the pagan city Nineveh, a pagan captain is now coming to the prophet and saying, arise, call out to your God. (laughs) If that's not a rebuke, then I don't know what is. Jonah was to not go to God and call out. He was to go to the city Nineveh and call out. And now the pagan is saying, no, now call out to your God. God is rebuking Jonah through this captain. To only make matters worse. The captain even knew what Jonah was to call out. Call out so that we would not perish. This is why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He wanted the Ninevites to perish. Read with me here. Chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not why what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to fleece to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah wanted Nineveh to perish. And now the pagan sailor is saying, arise, call out to your God, so that we wouldn't perish. So what's going on here in Jonah's heart? Well, a lot like the prodigal son, Jonah is doing anything and everything he can to flee from his responsibility of what he's been called to do. You see, Jonah's not concerned about the common good of the people that were on the boat. Jonah wasn't concerned about loving his neighbor. Jonah wasn't concerned about obeying the command of God to, to go. Jonah was concerned only about number one, himself. And we know this by seeing in our passage or maybe not seeing that Jonah doesn't even take the time to pray. We're going to see next week that the the sailors don't even realize that it's Jonah who caused the storm until they cast lots. And so here we have Jonah on the boat now awake justifying to himself. I knew I shouldn't have gotten on the boat. I knew I shouldn't have gone with these pagans. These men are sinful and I'm going to die because of their sin. God is judging them right now. Don't we as Christians justify this too? It's those non-Christians messing everything up. It's those liberals who are marching in a marxist order but this is a question that we have to ask ourselves that we can gloss over far too quickly if we don't look at it and remember why did god send the storm in the first place was it the disobedience of the sailors no It was because of Jonah's disobedience to his command to go to Nineveh that the storm came and threatened the sailors and Jonah in the first place. So church, how have we responded in the storm that we have found ourselves in these past few years? Sleeping? Pointing? The finger separating all the more and drawing the line in the sand? Is God calling his church to wake up and not fight some type of cultural battle but to repent for their sin of sleeping and only caring about finding comfort in this life? The church sets the temperature. It's the church that is a blessing to the community, to the nation, to our world. It's the church to be a city on a hill that shines brightly for all to see, not to sleep in the stowaway. And we see what happens in true revivals In true revivals, people have a deep sense of their sin and God's glory and it affects them so much that their affections are stirred to worship him. But not only worship him, it affects how they look at their neighbor and love their neighbor as thieves repay people that they stole from, as broken relationships are restored. And the community only benefits all the more from all of this taking place. And on the flip side, what do we see then in suffering nations that say, we don't want the church? And say, we don't want the word of God being distributed. Let me illustrate it like this, because I think maybe this is the best illustration. Nazi Germany didn't just come alive. There were systematic things that took place throughout history. Like in the university, there was a, an attack on the inherency of God's word that said this can't be trusted, this isn't reliable, this isn't true. And as they only threw the church away more and more, we see the rise of a, a very evil power. The church sets the temperature, but there are oftentimes times that God uses non-Christians to rebuke the church, to remind them of their calling. And so what is this calling? I think what we see in Paul's life actually helps us a little bit better because Paul, too, was on a ship that was about to be shipwrecked. As the apostle Paul is on the ship, there is a storm that is raging And what does he do? He does the exact opposite of what Jonah did. Paul prays to God and God reveals to him, stay on board and everyone will live. It will work out for your betterment. And so then Paul goes and proclaims that to the non-Christian people who are on the boat with him. You see, Jonah runs from his responsibility to set the temperature and paul runs to his responsibility to set the temperature and so all we can ask ourselves right now is where are we in this running are we running away from god's presence or are we running to it are we running away from loving our neighbor or are we running to them are we sleeping are we remaining quiet not active in good deeds Or are we pleading with God and proclaiming to our neighbors on their behalf? So let me conclude this way first. I've got just three very simple ways that I believe if we're asleep, and this is the question that we need to ask ourselves. And and look, I get it. Some of us are going to walk out of here and just totally forget. But right now, we need to ask ourselves have I been sleeping? Have I been sleeping on God's calling? Have I been sleeping on loving him and my neighbor? Have I been sleeping on making disciples? So we're going to see three implications. The first is this. Arise, church, arise and call out. What do I mean by that? I mean pray. 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 God's people are to be a people of prayer. There's a reason why the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because prayer was such a fundamental truth, such a fundamental aspect of Jesus' relationship and communion with the Father. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to call out to God. We first need to do it in a humble posture, coming and confessing. Our prayers should be filled with confession, confessing of our own sin, our own proneness to hide away for the sake of our own comfort, our sin of pointing the finger and blaming others, our sin for passively not contributing to the common good and not proclaiming. We must arise and call out and pray. The second, after prayer is proclaimed. As we see, or as we will see, it is only until Jonah is pressed that he actually proclaims Don't wait. This world needs hope. Look, this is such an angry place that we live in. You go on Facebook, and the first five posts that you probably see will be angry posts. We need hope. People here in this life, need hope because sin does not bring hope. It only shackles us. And this hope has made himself known to us. So what am I to proclaim? Proclaim this. There was another who was on a boat in the middle of a storm. And when his disciples called out to him, he got up and rebuked the storm. Point people to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. People need to be reconciled back to God, and he can do that. Jesus died for sinners Jesus died to reconcile sinners back to himself so that they would be restored. And so we, as people who are being restored, go out and see the gospel pro- proclaimed so more people can be restored back to God. People need to hear this message of, of love and grace. As I've said and as I've continued to hopefully try to persuade us is that this book, Jonah, The main theme of it is that God has a tender and gracious heart towards sinners. And people need to hear this message before it's too late and they end up in hell. So we have to pray, we have to proclaim, and sorry, I'm not good at alliteration. People need to contribute to the common good of their communities. You can't just sit back and wait for the city to take care of itself. You can't just sit back and say, well, the government will take care of what the people of God have been called to do for the past 2,000 years. That is to take care of the sick and the outcast, to feed the hungry, and take in the orphan and widow. Look, we can continue to make excuses after excuses all the day long. But God has called us to love our neighbors. To contribute to the common good of all. To be marked by good works and deeds. And so we must, we must love our neighbors. Maybe what that looks like for you is just getting to know your actual neighbors. So I believe that right now the church the church is at a crossroads. And so what we need to ask ourselves here, right here as individuals, as a church, is this. Am I sleeping? Is God calling me to wake up? Has the church, my church, Have I been more concerned about preaching my own gospel, encouraging my own way, rather than proclaiming the true gospel? Have I, has my church, have we been more concerned about its own good, remaining comfortable? rather than the common good and being a little uncomfortable for the sake of the community, of our neighbors. Really, all that I've been trying to just preach this morning is this question. Have we been living in obedience to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And our neighbors as ourselves. Are we committed to that? Or are we sleeping? Let's pray. Father, wake us up. Wake us up right now. Cause us to be so deeply affected and moved by the radical love that you've shown us that we can't help but just to obey you. To love our neighbors just like Jesus has loved us. God, use us. Use us today. Use us right now. Stir our affections to something greater than just ourselves. God, if we've been running or if we are asleep, then wake us up. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.